0: Hey everybody, Magnus here. Just a little quick note. Last week I started off the episode with a little bit of a sarcastic rant about those baby on board stickers that you see a lot whenever you're driving around. And there's really not all that interesting a story behind it. Basically what happened was... Ah, oh shit, I don't even remember. But the day that Michael Bailey and I recorded last week's episode... I'd been driving around. I think I'd gone out to pick up a cheeseburger or something. I don't friggin' remember. And on the way back, I saw somebody driving around, and basically they had a baby-on-board sticker on their rear uh, windshield. And I guess that was sort of the breaking point for me. I didn't really understand, you know, why it is that parents feel compelled and remind everybody that, hey, I've got a baby in this car, you know, and, and all the whole thing is supposed to be just sort of, you know, jokey, haha, you know, and basically it's just supposed to be all in good fun, right? <laughs> and certainly that's the way I intended it. And so on the Facebook group, though, just a while ago, Travis Fowler, a listener of this podcast, He heard my little introduction for last week's episode with Michael Bailey, and he said, uh, he basically typed up a, just a quick little missive for the Facebook group that explains why it is that those baby on board bumper stickers even exist. And so because of that, we're going to talk about that right now. Travis wrote, just started the new podcast, and I thought I'd shed some light on the intro for Your Excellency. The stickers and signs for baby on board are for EMTs, police, and firefighters. If they see the sign, they're prepared to—they're—they're they're prepared for possible baby seats, booster seats, etc. I'm only aware of this in the past eight months since my son was born. I now have one on display on my car, and so that was the end of Travis's Facebook post, and so. There you have it. Those are the reasons that those baby on board bumper stickers exist. So I guess that's the first thing. Second thing, Travis, thank you very much. Really appreciate you taking the time to clarify that for me. And number three, I really hope you don't feel upset or offended by what I said, because like I say, it really was intended to be just all in good fun. And, you know, this podcast is really it's supposed to be just fun to listen to. It's not supposed to piss anybody off. So, I really hope that you didn't take any of, anything that I said personally, because honest, honestly, that is not the way that it was intended. So, again, thank you for the clarification there. I truly did not know that, and I, I can actually see some utility in that. But either way, thank you very much. I really appreciate you kicking some science on me that way. So, thank you very much. And now, enjoy the rest of the episode. Pay your attention,
1: please. This is a piece of
0: art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun.
2: Doctor Doom with body to conceal his own form. Worst episode ever.
1: Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit?
0: Nerd!
1: It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important.
0: Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I talk about comics, movies, TV shows, and currently I'm talking about superhero comics wherein the lead character dies, gets crippled, gets replaced, decides to quit, etc., etc., whatever it was that was going on that motivated his decision and led to his being subsequently replaced. And this was a little bit of a storytelling trope that DC was particularly fond of back in the uh, back in the 90s. And I know I'm not alone when I say that those stories are frickin' awesome. So I'm going to be talking about another one of those today. And here to help me out is the Conway Twitty of podcasting. The superstar host of Dave's Daredevil podcast, no less a man than Jay David Weeder himself. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you?
3: Good to be back. I feel great. And of course, you can call me Dave. Might as well get get the cha effect in there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was gonna leave that. Uh, I was gonna leave that. Leave that part to you. You know, like that's your little catchphrase there. and yes. I, I, I just freaking al- I love it. I, I adore that. That's fun.
3: And, and it's funny because it happened by accident, which just. That's how magic happens, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Dave, why don't you tell the nice listeners what story it is that we're here to talk about today? We're here to talk about the Mark Wade epic, opus,
3: whatever you want to call it, Terminal Velocity, which scared the willies out of kids in the 90s.
0: Yes, it did. And this is one of those sort of historic stories. I don't want to give too much away, at least right this moment. But my argument is that Mark Wade's run on the Flash up to one might say issue number 94 it was good it was high quality very popular very well regarded but i don't know that this is necessarily that those stories would have been enough to necessarily put this character on the map to forever associate Mark Wade with Wally West I think it would be fair to say that nobody had ever done as much awesome with Wally as Mark Wade had up to that point. But my view of it it, it has long been that if, God forbid, he'd quit the book or or whatever had happened, it happened prior to Zero Hour, it would be a very interesting footnote in Wally West's history. And, and, And sort of by default, it would probably be regarded as the best of his run at least up to that point but i don't know that it would be necessarily thought of as definitive and i think that kind of changed with terminal velocity i mean what are your thoughts there
3: no you really did take it i mean this is kind of the this is the the culmination of the journey you and i started with born to run in episode 90 Mm -hmm. this is that first leg of a true journey and yeah it's This not only is in and of itself a great story, it sets up basically everything Mark Wade is going to do going forward. And then everything everybody else is going to take up after Mark Wade.
0: And that actually sort of leads into something. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to immediately take us off on a uh, on a tangent, you know, the minute that we get started, but there's a school of thought out there. And I was confronted with this the other night when I was doing a little bit of show prep Um, the school of thought says that it is possible for a character or rather for a, a creator to ruin a character. And I don't mean that from the angle of destroying this, uh, this character and taking this character in directions that are just wildly inappropriate from which you never really recover, you know, such as the way some people view it. John Ostrander on Firestorm, right? Fair. Maybe is not where Firestorm needed to be, and I'm not trying to get into that. I'm just trying to say that's what some people think. More from the angle, though, more like more what I'm talking about here is a writer will come onto a book and do such a phenomenal friggin' job with it that it it's almost like other writers feel like there's nothing left. Uh, there's really nowhere to go at this point, and I think a, a a good example of that that most fans would most comic book readers would probably immediately point to and say no one else needs to write this character is Jack Knight's Starman, like that version of Starman. I don't really care to read anybody else write Jack Knight. Pretty much if it's not James Robinson, I don't feel like I need that. Or for me personally, Garth Ennis on The Punisher. The Punisher may have a lot of dramatic potential. I don't really care to read anybody else's Punisher, though. Not taking anything away from those guys, but to me, Garth Ennis pretty much that's the punisher for me, and a lot of people believe this about the flash or at least Wally West Mark Wade so completely defined and typified everything that this character is that there's really nothing more that can be done. I mean, what are your thoughts there? do you I'm you know in in the long run in, in the long run, so to speak, is Mark Wade good for for wally west in terms of his future potential
3: yes and no i mean i agree that yeah he overshadows a lot i mean you had jeff johns um on a run following wade who did fine you had grant morrison of all people who filled in for wade for a year but even those well-regarded successful writers kind of they were working within the shadow of what mark wade had created And yeah, I mean, it's kind of like to give a comparison to another ginger in a red suit, uh, Frank Miller in Daredevil. Mm -hmm. So whether or not it was a writer feeling intimidated or just feeling that there was nothing left, you also had editorial coming in saying, do more of this, use that. And, you know, that's a frustrating work environment for one thing, but it can cause a lot of damage to the character. But I think looking back, John's actually – pulled it off. I think John's was the first one to get it out of the, out of the nosedive that followed Wade's departure.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, it's been, I don't think I've actually sat down and read the Jeff John's run, you know, beginning to end. It's God, it's got to have been years by this point. So, but what I, what I remember is that those were some really enjoyable stories, but it, unfortunately it was sort of overshadowed by the fact that, um, I'd, just done a little bit of a not a full re uh reread of the first wade run on on the flash but i i what what i tried to do is just kind of hit the high points and it i don't know i guess it would be like hitting the high points of frank miller's run on daredevil and then reading some of the more average aspects of ann nescenti's run as Mm -hmm. good as she might be that's not exactly the the baggage you want to go into her run with, you know.
3: Yeah, especially with that influence still still in the back of your mind.
0: Well, the uh the story, at least as I see it, uh pretty much it it begins with issue number 0, and on the one hand I don't want to belabor this at least too much because issue number 0, and in fact, I would say 0 month for DC Comics in general, this was basically a little—I don't want to go so far as to call it a marketing gimmick, but it was sort of a mission statement on the part of DC Comics following the conclusion of Zero Hour. Their ambition was to give each of their each, uh, each of their titles a sort of an introduction point. You know, this is supposed to be sort of a fresh, as Wizard Magazine might say, a jumping-on point for new readers comics would do such a thing once in a while back then and the idea here is that if you knew absolutely nothing about wally west you could pick up issue number zero and theoretically you'd be up to speed not only more or less on who this character is and where he's coming from but you also get a little bit of a flavor of what's to come does that seem like a fair assessment
3: yeah yeah i mean overall and it was a really good initiative. I will applaud DC for that. Even some of the weaker zero books still, they were serviceable to that end.
0: Uh, and for that, actually, I'll have to take your word for it. I mean, it, it, I just, I must, I, I must tell you, I've never really felt this burning desire to read Primal Force. You know, it's just, it's never hit me. Well,
3: I, I don't count that as a, even a DC book.
0: <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. Now, one of the things, like e- even if somebody isn't really on board completely with the story of issue number zero, which I don't, I, that, that would be actually a very interesting opinion. I mean, I try not to criticize other people for having an, an opinion different from mine, but I would want someone to justify that. But even if they weren't totally on board with this, with a little bit more of a talky type of story where there's really no central villain or anything like that, it's pretty much beginning to end. I don't want to call it Exposition, but there is a lot of setup. Nevertheless, this thing was drawn by Micro Ringo, and as far as Flash artists in the mid to late nineties, basically all roads kind of lead lead back to uh, to Ringo. Yeah. Okay, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> okay. Well, it's just well, I'm trying. You know, you get you have to be careful. You know, there's a politic way of putting it. And um, anyway, and so this is – as I say, this is basically the introduction to the Flash in the Zero issue where we see the Flash sort of watching him watch himself, watch him watch himself, do these incredible superhero-style rescues that only a speedster can really manage. It's just a different philosophy to Superman. Now, the reason I'm being kind of a pain in the ass about the Zero issue is that I had – Tried back when the John Wesley ship uh, TV show was going, I had tried to become a flash reader. And then as now, my opinion is that, as far as the comic books were concerned, that TV show starring John Wesley ship, it really came along at a very inconvenient time. In as much as the characters are different, I mean, you've got Barry on the TV show, Wally in the comic. And not just any version of Wally. This is the pre-Mark Wade, Bill Messner Loeb's version of Wally West, who... At, a man-child, is what he was. Okay, yeah, that's probably better, because I was going to say insensitive prick. But uh, not always the most likable character. <laughs> <laughs> and so this, I've I, been hearing good things about Mark Wade, his run on The Flash. And this wasn't my first mark wade flash comic but this was the first time that i ever sat down with the with the agenda of saying okay i'm going to read this book and i'm going to follow this character and as far as i guess the historical importance of of zero issue at least as far as you know how well did it succeed as at, at being a jumping on point I'd like to think you know what there are worse ways for you to commit to being a, a a flash reader than 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 this because again it's an introduction to to the flash his his world the way his mind works the way his powers work his supporting cast and it, and there's also the um, intrigue that we start getting into right there on page eight where we see because this is the 90s the flash being secretly observed by somebody from the shadows in this case max mercury the sort of zen guru of speed and th- th- again this was the first time i'd ever set eyes on on, on max mercury and i don't know i mean are, now are you looking at this right now on a on a page eight yes i have it pulled up there is a, that is him that that is max sensing the the sort of phantom wally's presence Yes. Isn't it? Or, okay. Then from there, basically what we've got is The Flash very, very quickly uh, summarizing the events of, of Born to Run. And, again, this is just, this was a story, at least at that point, that I hadn't read. And so this was extraordinarily good storytelling knowledge for me to have. Because I I had not I hadn't at that point read the pre-crisis origin I ha- certainly hadn't read Born to Run this was my first time seeing it and at the time I'm, I must confess my attitude about it was wow so he got his powers the exact same way that Wally did <laughs> that's a little lame isn't it yeah <laughs> and um anyway sort of sno- snooty fanboy elitism and uh, one of the things though that that I did not understand at the time and we touched upon a little bit back in the born to run episode is that Mark Wade was definitely playing the long game with several key and important uh, uh, elements of his run. And now I guess we can finally talk about it. One of these is the speed force. What are your thoughts on the speed force,
3: sir? I actually really love the speed force because it, it gave the flash a mythology that it, it didn't have before. I mean, you look at, you look at Jay He was, I mean, if you look at his Golden Age stuff, it's mostly humorous. Mm -hmm. There's not much epic to it. Barry was a pretty straightforward character. Um, There were storylines that would throw that into flux a little, but he didn't have a huge supporting cast. Um, He, well, as my comic shop owner likes to to troll me, the Flash runs fast. That's all he does. This takes it to another level because if you have this speed force, something that's beyond a person running fast, that's an entity or a. Uh, lack of a better word, entity will work. Something that is universal, that's within the DC universe, and this makes Wally the center of it. And it's it's to say
0: it's a game changer is the understatement of the year. Agreed. And one of the things about it that that worked for me, as you say, is that it does give a sort of a unifying force. Uh, see what I did there? Mm-hmm. Uh, between all of the different speedsters. But the other thing it does is. In a weird kind of way, it clarifies the Flash's powers. If Superman runs at super speed, he's literally just running at super speed. He's moving his legs incredibly fucking fast. And for the first time, we can see now why the Flash would and should be faster. He's not moving his legs at super speed. Instead, he's tapping into this – I don't even know how to describe it – this sort of extra-dimensional energy field – that in turn fuels him and propels him through space. And when you think about it, that is a completely friggin' different concept than just moving your legs really fast. Mm -hmm. And what I like about it is, number one, it differentiates the Flash's uh, power from Superman's. And number two, it sets up the idea that the speed force, maybe it's just a sort of non-sentient, I don't know how else to, I'm not really sure how how to put it. uh, I think uh, the energy construct would be,
3: I kind of stick to that if you're going non-sentient.
0: Yeah. Along the lines of the force from Star Wars. But Mm -hmm. there is a degree to which the speed force kind of has a will of its own and it desires, for lack of a better word, may or may not be very benevolent for the people that it chooses. And that gets set up very clearly, not just in this story, but retroactively in Crisis on Infinite Earths. And so I guess my point is it, it's an interesting sort of linchpin for everything that that this character comes from, everything that he's doing and everything that he's knowingly or unknowingly building toward. And it's not necessarily a positive thing. And the first real impression of that that we get in this story comes on uh, page 22, beginning in the second panel, where the Flash goes immaterial. He turns into a sort of this bolt of energy. And that's something that isn't going to really get much developed upon until um, really the beginning of uh, Terminal Velocity as a story proper. Speaking of which, right now, I've been sitting here running my mouth basically nonstop, and I haven't really given Dave a chance to say very much. So, uh, Dave, what are your thoughts on this story, sir? Well, as I said up front, this is the – almost a spiritual
3: successor or a point in Wally's history that started with Born to Run and came here. It is a turning point in a big, big way. Mm -hmm. It's a sharp left, if you will. Right. And the story is very compelling. First of all, if you remember when this came out, you mentioned it came out during Zero Hour. Mm -hmm. And you had Wizard. You had that hype machine. I was fairly convinced Wally was going to die. And I wasn't actively reading the book at the time. But I was seeing the covers. I was seeing some of the write-ups. And it scared the willies out of me that they were going to kill Wally and put Bart in his place.
0: Yes. I think that was the expectation, honestly, that a lot of people had – One of the things that, like I said, I wasn't avidly following The Flash prior to issue number zero. But I did manage to, not on purpose, uh, but I did manage to end up uh, purchasing Flash number 92, which was the first appearance of Bart. And one of the thoughts I had was, you know, we're building up to issue number 100 here. If they were planning to kill Wally or as Marvel attempted to do with Peter Parker during the Clone Saga, just send him riding off into the sunset to live happily ever after, you'd want to start prepping his replacement right now. And, uh... That could be the guy. Yeah. <laughs> Except
3: that Mark Wade was actually frustrated because they solicited Impulse Number 1 as the story was going into effect. So he gave us a curveball in the form of Jesse Quick, so... But still, it never I – was, I was still leaning towards looking at Bart as a potential new Flash and looking at his costume and wondering, can I live with a Flash wearing that costume? At the time, a, my
0: answer I, would have been no. Yeah. It
3: was kind of where I, I landed. It just didn't seem right. But you know, rereading it now, knowing kind of the history that follows, this was a good character story. The villains are almost MacGuffins to the characters because you have Wally facing something that he can't outrun and he cannot outfight. And the more he works to try to circumvent this future, the more die the cast becomes. And that is frustrating for the character. And you're watching this character really hit the point that he's been heading towards since Mike Barron was writing the book. Because you've only really had three major writers on the book. You had Mike Barron who had this Slacker man child hero Mm -hmm. didn't move too far down the field. Messner Loaves had some fine superhero stories in there, but didn't move the character down the field very far. You had a character that was, the theory is that he was being a jerk because he felt inadequate to be the flash. So he was making a self-fulfilling prophecy. And Mark Wade finally let the character loose to go down the way, down the, uh, basically down the field to a real development A lot of that due to Linda Park. And so we're finally seeing in this story, Wally become the Flash, not a kid in daddy's clothes. He is the hero he was meant to be. And from here on in, it's just a different Wally in a good, good way.
0: Right. And I remember and and you still see it a little bit, uh, uh, just a little bit right now, but. There were there were people saying even at the time that this story uh, came out, you know, once the the conclusion of it had happened and we understood a little bit more about what Mark uh, Mark Wade was up to. There was this strange complaint that people had that said, "Well, this kind of takes uh, Barry, or, sorry Barry, this takes Wally on the same exact character arc that he went through in the Return of Barry Allen storyline and." Honestly, I, then as now, my answer to that had all you know. It, it's always been the return of Barry Allen was basically supposed to put Wally in a in a in a place where he's not necessarily always trying to live up to this this mythical legend that he created Barry Allen to be in his mind. Especially since he took over the name the Flash, that was really I think the purpose of that story. It wasn't necessarily to enable Wally to be the the best he can be. It was basically supposed to put Wally in a place where he's, he basically says, I guess, goodbye to the sort of false hero worship. Yeah, remove
3: those shackles so he could, he could begin a real journey for himself.
0: Exactly that. And I, I've never been able to shake the feeling that as much as the return of Barry Allen was pointed to Wally – it's also kind of pointed to the fans, too. You know, this attitude of, look, guys, just shut the hell up. Barry's gone. He's not coming back, or so we thought. And this guy is the character now. So you just need to accept that.
3: You're, you're not wrong, actually. Reading um, The Flash Companion from, T- from Tomorrows, mm-hmm. Mark Wade, he's still implying, but he's not, he's not very um, subtle that that was the intent. And and it actually seemed to work as well. Oh, that I did not know. <laughs> OK, yeah, well, so yeah, well, he, n- he never comes out and says it, but
0: he kind of puts it on the table. Got him. OK. And as you say, this story, Terminal Velocity, this is designed now to make Wally not just a speedster, but now specifically the Flash. He's not Kid Flash, as you say, wearing daddy's clothes. He's the Flash. He he's the man now. He's earned this. He deserves this. I think at this point.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And this is this really is turning a, a, a corner. And in more ways than one, there is a lot of I would say almost subliminal starting you know starting with the the issues following uh, issue number one hundred. There's a lot of subliminal bullshit that's going on starting in issue number one. Or sorry, 101. If you look at the, the cover of issue number 100 and then work backwards, it says Flash, and it, sort, it slants to the left. Starting in issue number 101, it's still the same basic logo, except now it slants to the right, and it says The Flash. And it actually took me a couple of months before I really noticed that. But I thought, you know what, dude? That is fucking genius. Like, I don't know if you ever noticed that, but, uh, you know, if you look at the cover of issue number 101 and then going forward, the logo, it's basically the same. It just slants in a different direction, and it has the at the beginning of it, and it's just perfect.
3: I'm just going to admit it right now. I had never noticed that. I had to pull it up. I'm like, son of a bitch. Wow.
0: <laughs> okay, see, now now I feel better. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're, you're it took, not alone. It, it, took, it took me a couple of months. Well— here I am. Uh, I'm schooling Dave, so now I feel good. So, <laughs> Well, and um, it, it it's just all of this sort of – it led to this – I guess this kind of coalescing and acceptance of Wally. Now he's – I would say that almost nothing has changed except for Wally himself. And so my question to you is, Wade – I think knowingly tapped in on this trend in comics that everybody knew was going on this sort of gimmick of the character being replaced with somebody else. And that arguably does happen in this story. But do you think it would be fair to say that Wally himself is a changed man and in a weird kind of way he did end up replacing himself with himself?
3: Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. I I think that the last part replacing himself with himself is true. And, uh, Wade fully admits this was a bit of a gimmick. His main – not that he didn't want to tell a good story, but he was always chasing Green Lantern's numbers. Mm-hmm. He wanted the Flash to sell at Green Lantern's numbers, and they would get close, but they never quite got to it. Um, so this was kind of born of that. And, and yeah, as you mentioned, he tapped into the the trend, which was, oh, look, we have Kyle Rayner as Green Lantern now. Osrael um, as Batman. Um, we had the four reign of the Superman. And this was – it was, a, it was it worked is the thing is in this one. He replaced himself with himself, but it was a story where you actually started to feel scared, especially at issue ninety nine.
0: Yeah. um In issue number ninety nine, it's. Wait, is that the one eh, I, I just read this? So it's kind of sad that I don't remember. But is this the one where basically the entire cast gets picked off? um
3: Yeah, for the most part, one by one, they don't get. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. Yeah. Bart gets set on fire. Bear or Wally gets, whatever it is. Wally gets. He get becomes one
0: with the Speed Force. Oh, Jesse Quick gets crippled, yep. or or fucked up in some way.
3: It was her uh, her hamstring. Yes. Jesse Quick. What a great character.
0: <sighs> yeah, and the. I didn't really know anything about Jesse Quick because I didn't really read the. That just that Mike Parabek, Justice Society uh, a series like as new issues I had to read them after the fact as back mm-hmm. issues, so this really was my first exposure to Jesse Quick, and you know I'll be I'll, I'll be honest I could take or leave Johnny Quick but Jesse Quick, not just because of the fact that you know she's going to be on the Flash TV show although there's that, but I've just always had a real affection for this character, and I remember that at the time that I was reading. You know, this sort of at the time we thought it was a revelation. Hey, she's the new Flash. I thought that is fucking genius.
3: Yeah, and I was excited about it. I liked the costume, Sans the jacket. I loved the idea of a female Flash, and I liked it that it was going to be
0: that character. Well, and the thing about it is, I don't think I really understood it. I wouldn't have been able to put it into words at the time, but had she actually ended up being the Flash, this. This combines a couple of different legacies. I mean, there's the obvious Flash legacy, but then there's, you know, there's Johnny Quick, there's Liberty Bell. I mean, she's kind of when when you think about it, she's already sort of a a superhero community princess. And this would have been her getting her crown. And you know, I'm totally happy with the way that things turned out. I don't want it to sound like I'm second guessing anything, but this that that's a story development I would have I kind of would have wanted to see. I mean, I'm happy with how things turned out, but had they gone the other way and she ended up being the permanent Flash, you know what? Yeah, I would have been totally okay with that. Yep. Except,
3: well, just let's be honest. Wally is not, he's not a perfect hero, which is kind of why we like him, but he he, he does not do her right. He does not do right by her in this story or in subsequent stories. And even Mark Waid admitted that Wally basically was in the habit of telling Jesse whatever she needed to hear. And that was frustrating. That was something I could never, never quite get past. It's kind of like learning that your dad, you know, had some harbored secret or never said, you know, he loved you. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, good guy, just not really great at, you know, expressing what needs to be expressed just placating her and especially here when she's used as a way to manipulate Bart of all characters. It, that was what I walked away really, really angry with at this story.
0: You know, I agree with that. And that actually leads into a question I've got for you. Is that a a flaw with the character or is that a flaw with the writer?
3: Well, it's going to be both. Uh, I don't know that Mark Wade ever used Jesse Quick to her full potential as we were just talking she would have been a great flash she could have probably carried if not her own ongoing at least a really solid miniseries and I think I think if Wade had taken that initiative we would have seen some great stuff from her in the 90s so I kind of have to put that on Wade's shoulders and I don't think he would disagree but I might be wrong
0: Hmm. okay well, fair enough. The, um, you know, going through the story, this is one of those stories that I remember reading quite a few times. You know, especially whenever the trade paperback came out. And this was an era. For those of you who don't remember, this is this was an era when you know DC they didn't necessarily release trade uh, paperbacks of every single comic that they that they published. It was a time and a place where. It was the rare storyline that ended up in a in a trade paperback, and it was the rare st- uh, storyline still that got a trade paperback moments after the final issue came out. But this one did. Death of
3: Superman and uh, Death in the Family, the first two that came to mind. So it's stories of that caliber.
0: Right. I mean, hell, it took – how long did it – I think it took like a year or two years or something like that for – The Panic in the Sky trade paperback to come out. It's It's not more. Yeah, it was was quite a while. Yeah. And it was, it's like DC understood the importance of that story. It just took them a while to act on it. You know, like somebody had to convince somebody that this is a storyline that was worth putting into a trade. I mean, just to kind of put that in perspective, uh, Crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite, I, you know, what, not so much a, a, a classic because of, you know, what an amazing story it is, although it is good. But this is the story where Clark and Lois uh, became engaged. and I don't think that was put into a trade for like six or seven years or so. I mean it just it took a hell of a long time. So for a story like terminal velocity to in, not only get a trade paperback to get it so quickly, you know it, it needs to be emphasized this is a big deal. not just any not just every story you know would get that these days. Like I say, it's standard or I don't I don't know so much about these days, but at least at one point that was standard operating procedure, not even remotely the case 20 years ago. And so but I would almost want to compare what we're seeing uh, through, uh, you know, through this story with the events of Star Wars Episode three, Revenge of the Sith, where the hero or at least the protagonist sees this vision of his of his lady dying rather horrifically, does all in his power to sort of prevent that from happening and in the process like you were saying before, brings it about obviously, they have very different conclusions, yeah, but it's you know there I I don't think there are as many parallels between the Flash and Star Wars as there are between Green Lantern and Star Wars but that's one of those things that sort of jumped out at me as I was as I was reading this that there was this sort of vague premonition that Wally had that and, and it's it's kind of a fixture in fiction where you know the character in, in trying to prevent something from happening actually helps bring it about and on the one hand it, it feels like it's sort of a um, cliche well not a cliche but a little bit of a trope here because of the fact that this is like the first i would say that this was the first serious relationship that wally that that wally had ever had you it's not hard to relate to his would you say desperation or what no i I, desperation
3: would be perfect just that well i'm going to say something here Sure. And you might get upset. Michael Bailey might get upset. I think, and I've been doing a lot of thought on this, the Wally West Linda Park love story is probably one of the most epic love stories in comics, probably more so than Lois and Clark. Yes. Okay. (laughs) And when you put it on that level, with the fact that this is the first person Wally has ever connected to on a romantic level, on a peer level, Mm -hmm. because you have Jay, he's older, Johnny's older. Jesse is a subordinate to some extent. I don't think that word was probably the best one to use, but. Um, well,
0: <laughs> that's how he treats
3: her. So that's. Yeah, fine. exactly. But this is somebody that's not only his equal. It's somebody who calls him on his bullshit, um, who pushes him to be his best. And brings the best parts of himself out. And, yeah, desperation would be if there's a word that's more severe than desperation, that would be the word I'd put on the table. I just don't have my thesaurus near me.
0: So. Fair enough. Well. Well. Um no, I, the way I view it is the 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 Lois and Superman love story it's it, it's a sort of enchanted fairy tale where you know it's coming sooner or later, and so you it's in a weird kind of way, you sort of expect it. I don't think there was any huge expectation, or for that matter, any huge demand to give Wally a love interest, but then he nevertheless got one. And this is more of a, I would say more of a dream come true. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not a matter. It it was not a matter of expectation that anybody had that, uh, this whole, you know, Linda thing would, would go the way that it did. I don't think anybody was expecting that. And, certainly not Wally in like in universe, you know, Wally certain, certainly wasn't. And I, I tend to agree with you. You know, this is, there are, I guess, different values and different philosophies that drive Linda and Wally as compared, as compared to Lois and Clark. So yeah, no, I, 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 I tend to agree with you. You're more, I'm at least more, I guess, emotionally invested in their story for uh, Wally and Linda. Whereas with, Lois and Clark. It's. I mean, yeah, there's an emotional investment. It's just, I don't know. It's just different. I don't know how else to put it. Um, words fail me. But anyway, so, but really, the um, uh, the first chapter of it ends where we find exactly what it is that Wally's up against in all of this. He's, he actually kind of has this wave rider thing going on the the last page of uh, issue number ninety five. And this is – he. it's just creepy looking. Uh, now, reading this thing after the fact, I mean, you know, w- like where were you on all of this? I, I guess you probably knew he wa- that he survived the story, but at least in the moment, what were you thinking?
3: I had – and of course, I, I was kind of out of comics at the time. One foot in, so to speak, at the time this was coming out on stands. So it wasn't until way later that I read this and I had – I had no idea that the physical transformation was going to occur. So – even after the fact, it was still a little off-putting because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it is—it's freaky looking.
0: The yeah, I I tend to agree with that. And this is not for the first time, but this was one of many moments in this story where I kept wondering what would, how would Ringo have handled this? <laughs>
3: well, yeah. You by the way, these have great Mike Waringo covers and then Greg Larocque art.
0: Yes, and it's going to sound snooty and disrespectful to uh, Greg LaRocca, but I wanted micro Ringo. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're not alone. Okay. <laughs> I don't think it's just the two of us either. So, <laughs> well, it's, it, it's just, it, it's funny that, you know, sometimes an artist will so totally get what a character is all about. And anyway, but when you get into part two, which is to say, uh, number 90 uh, flash number 96 what i'll say is that greg laroca or sorry salvador laroca i said greg laroca before salvador laroca he he's actually got multiple shadows uh for wally that are getting cast across the room because the light it's emanating from different part he's he is the light source you know in the room and i get the impression that Perhaps there are multiple light sources coming from Wally's own body. And so he gets three sets of, when you think about it, contradictory shadows that are going in all different directions here. It's it's on the one hand, it's very powerful, very interesting art. And on the other hand, I want Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> but and this actually kind of leads into something that one of the reasons I want Ringo, not just because of line style. As this series kind of goes on, one of the criticisms I've got is that the art and the storytelling, it, it can be a little bit unclear at times that, you know, things are happening. But it's almost as if the art is disconnected from the action or there's something that's going on here that it it, it this just doesn't feel perhaps as well organized as it might. It doesn't While, go fluidly. Is, yeah, I have the same I, the same note. Yeah. And the best example I can think of is that in issue uh, 95, Wally basically dresses Bart down, tears him apart, calls him stupid, zips off uh, to the house, chats with Linda for just a few seconds at the beginning of this issue, then goes off and finds Bart again, who – Then punches him in the head and it's like, what what the fuck is going on here? You know, so on the one hand, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I don't enjoy the story because I do. But that doesn't mean I'm going to overlook just some of the weird non sequitur things that are happening here. I mean, he leaves, comes back, gets punched, leaves again. You know, what the hell's going on? You know, and um, then randomly they get uh, they get jumped by. The villains of the piece. The very we, villains we're looking for. How convenient. Yeah. <laughs> and we haven't really talked a whole lot about them. Uh, who are these guys and what are they doing? I assume they're more of a – see, I'm not very
3: familiar with Cobra. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I assume they're much like the Cobra from
0: G.I. Joe or Hydra. Yeah, I was actually going to say Hydra. Yeah, they're basically DC's Hydra.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but they just they didn't capture it. I mean it was all about what's, go, what's Wally going through? What is Bart going through? And I'm even somebody who, I'll admit, I don't like Bart. I've got no love for Bart. Um, he was fine during the Teen Titans, but I just found him incredibly grating.
0: You didn't even like him in Young Justice? Like oh, the yeah. Peter David series? Oh, yeah, that doesn't count.
3: Everybody loves that series. That's a okay. different
0: entity in itself. Okay, fair enough. All right. Well, the and, – and, and and that is something. I mean there is a sort of uh, of a mechanical quality to all of this that – as a as a writer, my usual policy is never question Mark Wade, don't doubt Mark Wade. But in this one story, I mean I do kind of feel like, you know, there are some chinks in the armor where the plot is less of a plot and it's more of a vehicle to have all of these character dynamics and character conflicts and it just feels like all of the pieces don't always fit together as well as they might. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Forgive me. A better artist might have been able to smooth over some of these rough spots. You know, like, where the hell are these characters going? What are they doing? What are they trying to accomplish? Why are they leaving each other then immediately coming back when really nothing has happened? You know, and I just feel like uh, had it been, again, Mike Ringo, you and I would probably not be having this conversation or at least not about the same exact thing and to the same degree. I feel like w- Ringo would have known how to tell this story in a way that it, it, it all feels organic.
3: True. Now, I think what happened with Wally leaving and coming back was that he was starting to to go into this light form, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Needed to get his shit back together and then went back and rejoined the living. That's still – it basically, was a setup for that revelation. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, we've got the big reveal. Let's go back where we were. And yeah, it's, it reeks of wanting
0: to stretch out the story more than it needed to be. Right. And the thing about it is, the reason I'm kind of a critic of that is that there, there's this moment on page 19 of issue 96 where he reunites with Linda, who's now cutting attitude with him because he didn't tell her his secret which as you read the story, A, yes, he did. But B, you know, the reason he didn't tell her sooner is that he no he no sooner shows up from his little, I don't know, voyage into the future slash the past to the slash the present, back to the past, back to the future, back to now. Mm-hmm. That, you know, there's a lot of shit that was going on there. Pretty much the minute he showed up, he had to go and take care of it. He did tell her. And again, I mean, I, I don't want to call this all arbitrary, but it feels like when wade was working his way through i guess the plotting of of this story he knew that he wanted each issue to end in a certain way and at times god help me i'm criticizing mark wade at times i guess logic and character dynamics and things they kind of get shunted to the side because damn it we've got page 22 coming closer and closer all the time you know and I, wonder
3: if, I wonder, oddly, if this was a storyline that needed more space versus less space. Because, I mean, we've had a build up to it. I mean, we've got, what, six issues here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the storyline before didn't directly build to it. Um, There's been little breadcrumbs up to this point, but it didn't go up to the next level until 95. And I wonder if this is something that should have been probably given a little bit more breathing room.
0: Right, but zero hour is happening no matter what. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, if you think about the issue, like the relation between issue zero and issue 100, he had, you're right, that's a good point, actually. He had this much, these many issues to tell the story. He couldn't start it any sooner and he couldn't drag it out beyond that point. That's it. Yeah. So, shit, that's a really good point, actually. Wow. The uh, complications that marketing can uh, can challenge you with sometimes. So, I don't know. But... What I will say, though, is that issue number 96, it does end on a on a kind of interesting note in that it's basically Bart getting intercepted by, at this point, the entire friggin' Speedster family. That is to say, Wally, Max, Jay, Jesse, and Johnny. A lot of J's in there. And you've got Bart. And it does take a while for you know, Wally's agenda to, to become apparent, but obviously, at least on the surface, what he's shooting towards here is for Bart to become the next Flash. And from the sounds of it, that, that would not have actually worked all that well for you really at all. No. <laughs> I must ask, why is it that you're not – and, and this isn't me challenging you. I'm just sort of curious. Why is it that you're not a big uh, a big Bart guy?
3: I just never got my – maybe it was because of the age I was at. I was right at 16, 17. And if you, if you look at the Impulse comic that was coming out at that time, you had Humberto Ramos doing art who is an acquired taste. You have to kind of wrap your head around it. You had these panels where he's thinking in pictures. It felt very silly, and it was, after the fact. And I just didn't like that Bart could not form a coherent thought. <laughs> it was just – it was kind of the same reason Wally had issues with Bart. It reminded me a little bit too much of myself, and he was just a little bit too hyper. I see. OK. So I don't know if it was that – you know, it was just you a know, first impression type of thing, but I, I think it was more that he – he was a character I could not get my mind around.
0: No, and that I understand. I mean, I was there for a long time with with Supergirl, actually, of all characters. By which I mean Kara zor So, I mean, I it's just I didn't understand what exactly it is that she's bringing to the table and why people seem to friggin' miss her so much. So, no, fair enough. The um, all of this though is a is actually a pretty decent little lead-in for issue number ninety-seven, where. We basically, this is, now my memory is tricking me. Is this the first time we see Max Mercury's origin? Is I mean, is this it?
3: Within the context of this, yes. This is, I mean, I think we've gotten hints, but this is the first time it's all laid out. Um, now, of course, Max Mercury, they mentioned Quicksilver. He was a character in a Golden Age one-off story.
0: Yeah, for a minute there, I was going to ask you about that Quicksilver. I think you got the wrong universe, guy.
3: No, <laughs> that's why they—that's why he's called Max Mercury now. But that story was pretty much as self-contained as it gets. You—you you basically only learned that the character's first name was Max. So Mark Wade's like, "Oh, good, blank, blank, blank canvas."
0: Fair enough. Yeah, I'm—I knew that there was something I never. Yeah, fair enough. I—I I just Max Mercury was always one of those characters that, I, on the one hand, I really liked. He was kind of the Yoda of the group in a way. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, though, I was never—I don't think. I, or for that matter, anyone else was clamoring for Max Mercury to get his own ongoing title. So, no, he's a he's a nice he's a nice supporting character,
3: not necessarily somebody you want to center a whole story around.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, he's it, it's almost like the Phantom Stranger t- trying to make that into an ongoing title. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you know what? In a weird kind of way, though, that does sort of work. They, they both have that mysterious bullshit going. So, yeah. That, and but you
3: don't get enough of a connection to the character to really draw you into an ongoing or a mini series
0: otherwise you might wreck the character itself. So the from there, you know, moving on to page 10, this is basically Linda Park shooting the bull with Iris and who's getting, I swear to God, younger by the panel. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like Merlin, she's youthening, you know, and, uh, <laughs> But <laughs> the, the thing is, you know, on, on page 10 – god, there are so many panels here. One, two, three. Yeah. F- on a page uh, – or sorry, panel four, you have Linda. She's not shit-talking Wally as such. She's just venting, really. But this is one of those times when I guess the nature of a story sort of – it was beyond me, you know? I mean I was – I want to say it's like 14 when this story uh, was coming out and you know, 14 years old, there's, there are, there's an entire range of life experiences that you just haven't had at the age of 14. Mm -hmm. One of which is holding down a successful relationship, right now as a married man, I'm sure you, you, you have absolutely no perspective on that. No, no, sometimes,
3: sometimes you screw up and Wally screwed up, I think.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, and that's, I don't know. I mean, stuff like that. After the fact, I kind of, I kind of think of that as, you know, it's useful for conflict in the story, but at the same time, it, it really is eye of the beholder because, you know, like I said, I mean, Wally, he legitimately was busy, and you know, he did. Now he did sort of cut and run, but again, I kind of chalk that up to. I disavow it as I say it. Bad writing, and the, I don't know. I mean, it's like on the one hand, it, it feels like this is sort of there because it needs to be there but I, I can't help but think am I am I truly confused over this or am I confused because of the fact that the first time I read this I had no idea what it takes to, to like be in a relationship with somebody and you know the the type of communication that you need to have in order for the two of you to not kill each other so I don't know
3: <laughs> always leave the toilet seat up and I think it'll be okay
0: yeah good point yes very good and never ever put the the cat back on the toothpaste to make sure you put the uh, toilet paper on the roll backwards you'll be just <laughs> so um moving moving forward just a couple of pages we've got the flash or not even just the flash at this point it's actually now the entire friggin' speedster family going toe to toe with is this is one of the a chillblainer who is this person he's a he's a he's a captain cold wannabe Okay, fair enough. Yeah, that's good enough for me. Captain Cold wannabe. Sure enough. And this is one of those things about uh, about the story that kind of helped me get a better understanding of who the Flash is and how his world works that you know, in the middle of an uh, of other things that are going on, you'll get just random bullshit like this that happens that it's useful for providing a fight for uh, a page or so and but it doesn't really tie into anything. It's just some nameless, random, brand-new supervillain decides he wants to make a name for himself. It This is basically Wally West's coffee break, and now we get back into the main story. And you would get <laughs> stuff like this from time to time, you know? And e- e- even right here in the middle of this huge, important story, one of the most important Wally stories of all time, and we get one here, and I just I fucking love it.
3: Yeah. It's just that stuff happens in Central City or Keystone City or the Twin Cities, whichever you want to label it. This is Tuesday. Just stuff randomly happens. Villain trying to rob a place. And as you as you perfectly put it, it's Wally West coffee break.
0: Yeah. And this is where um, – this is uh, page 20. We finally get a better idea of what it is that Wally at least thinks he's up against. Specifically, you know, the death of – possibly himself but maybe linda too it's it's all it's basically it's a very creative way for a writer to show us just enough for us to think we know where this is going but whenever we actually do finally see it all of the terms of this prophecy for lack of a better description all of the terms of the prophecy are indeed fulfilled but not quite in the way that we were expecting and Hmm. it's I must say, you know, for for the quibbles and stuff that I've got about the story up to this point, it's the master who can tell you exactly how the story ends and still surprise you when it happens, you know?
3: Yeah. Although I just realized, uh, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I could tear the
0: story apart because it just dawned on me. Go right ahead. I mean, this is supposed to be a chance for us to be honest here, so go right ahead.
3: Oh, boy. Um, This whole story could have gone a completely different direction if Wally had simply said, Hey, Linda, um, stay home because you're going to die today.
0: were called in the Justice League. Yeah. To be her bodyguards. Yeah. That is a very good point. Um, I don't really have a good answer for that. Nope. I've got nothing. It suddenly
3: makes me look a little bit differently at the story.
0: Well, the way I see it is that in these types of stories, I mean, there, there comes a point when, let's face it, Superman really can solve the world's problems. So... Anything that anybody does that doesn't involve calling in Superman, they're pretty much giving giving something away and all of that. So I guess maybe if you wanted to think about, you know, a, a situation where Wally exists in the same universe as Superman, but for whatever reason, doesn't call him. Hey, Superman, we've got this chillblain guy here and he's tearing up downtown. Uh, would you mind taking care of this just real quick? Thank you. And. <laughs> I don't know. It's, you know, if he's not going to call uh, for some reason, God damn it. Why would you have to tell me that?
3: Well, I think uh, if we have to be honest about it, there's no good in-story reason, but there if there's not going to be a story, why are we showing up? So I guess on that front, you sometimes have to overlook things. That's a pretty big thing to overlook, though. A simple, hey, you know, here's what's going on. Can you go hang out on the Justice League satellite for a few days? Just till this blows over. <laughs> well, then you've you've got you got to ask yourself if Linda would really go do that, and the answer is probably no.
0: Well, but. <laughs> yeah, something tells me though if you give her the the magical thump to the forehead, or uh, you know, and then just uh, beam her up later on, yeah, it'll it'll be fine, you know. Slipp give her, her
3: a, give her a, a hamburger like B. A. Baracus to get him get him on the plane. <laughs>
0: Uh, page twenty-two. Issue ends with because of the fact that something something Bart's a screw up. Wally anoints Jesse to be the new Flash, and this, by the way, includes this just god awful, terrible Avengers style uh, leather jacket that she's wearing. I mean, that alone should be. I mean, if she if she doesn't have enough good judgment to put together a good a good outfit, a non obnoxious outfit, you know how. How much do you really want her to be the new Flash? So, I don't know. Never understood her fixation with jackets, but maybe it's just a 90s thing. I don't know. Yeah, it was a 90s thing. Everybody had jackets. I guess. But this is an opportunity, though, for her to have a new costume. So, uh, the first page of issue number 98, we see it. She's got a, a, a sort of... I don't know what to call this. It's like an Olympian style onesie version of a flash outfit Mm -hmm. with a jacket and then gloves, which it's a pretty drastic departure from her other jacket, which is like, as I say, it's got that weird Avengers thing going. You remember like the leather jacket era of of the Avengers? Oh, yeah. Where they
3: they had the sleeves rolled up, which defeats the purpose of a jacket.
0: Yeah, well, and it restricts mobility. I don't know. What the fuck were they I mean, I know I know what they were thinking, but what were they thinking, you know? Anyway, luckily it's not quite that obnoxious, but and here she's got more this looks like it could be kind of a, like a denim jacket, which again, 90s. But it's it it does kind of call into question, you know, wow, you have got all of this red and then hey, here's the blue. So, what the hell? But anyway, and that's pretty much where, you know, this story picks up. You know, you've got Jesse feeling like the cat's meow. Wally being kind of an insensitive prick when you know how the story's going to end. Mm-hmm. Bart, who's kind of uh, pissed off about the whole thing. Max is, as ever, speaking in riddles. And I'm guessing uh, Johnny and Jay say, fuck this. They're at the bar. so
3: Yeah, that's what I would do. Oh, I,
0: I mean, you know, you can only go through so many of these, you know, lineup changes and you know, new flashes and stuff before you, you, before you say, fuck this, I need a drink, dude. So, and that's kind of where, I mean, that's no one ever comes right out and says that in the story, but that's, that's in my mind, my head can, and that's where they are right now. They're they're at the bar getting loaded.
3: Yeah, and they don't come back for the rest of this issue. So I I don't think you're wrong.
0: Oh, really? The whole rest of
3: this issue? Oh, See wow. Max, Jesse and and Bart, that's it.
0: Ah, uh, Okay. And as we move through this issue, Wally's condition is worsening in as much as he's – his body is now starting to crackle with this uncontainable, uncontrollable arcing electricity is what it looks like. And so in a weird kind of way, he does – I don't know. I mean this must be a man in love because he does give her a ring. Now, it's a flash ring, but if you know what I, I – <laughs> I don't know if he's quite the commitment-phobe, Wally. I don't know if he's quite the commitment-phobe that, say, Hal Jordan is. But uh, this is still, nevertheless, the kind of thing that you – of all people, you'd think he'd be careful about doing just because it could be so easily misunderstood. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, hmm. So, I don't know. I mean that's definitely
3: <laughs> – I just it, caught that.
0: <laughs> oh, you did. Oh, yeah. It's right there. God, now I flipped past it. But that's page – well, no, just how it could be mis- misunderstood. And oh,
3: yeah, I forgot how that played out.
0: Yeah. And and that's the thing. I mean, I don't want to spoil ahead too much, but there comes a point when Linda and Wally really do have that conversation with one another. And it was actually because of that moment that it it didn't feel forced to me. You know, like Linda, after everything that they've been through just in this story, but especially with that one specific moment, how could she not? be wondering, you know, well, where are we, where is this relationship going? Yeah, let's talk about your feelings, Wally. Woman, I'm turning
3: into crackling energy. Can we do this later?
0: <laughs> yeah. And now I'm I'm betting he's probably wishing he could be at the bar too. You know what the fuck yeah. I'm thinking. <laughs> but this does sort of lead into I guess it's getting to be about just about time for the villain of the piece to uh, make his move, and so basically the co- uh, Cobra forces are well, they're basically setting setting it all up. Now, here's there's actually a, a little bit of a lack of clarity here, you know, with the story. Again, like the wind turbines getting just completely decimated by what looks like an electrical storm or tornadoes or something. I understand least i think i understand what exactly their their weapon does and how it works but the force field thing just off the top of my head i don't know if that ever really gets clarified i mean what the hell's going on with this
3: well supposedly it's keeping other people out who end up showing up later so i i don't know that's serving any purpose
0: i see okay it's there because wade wade needs it to be there so okay that's fine um Either way, though, that's that's exactly – that is – we finally get now an exact, I guess, depiction of what exactly Wally's up against now. What he sees finally is the death of Linda. Now, up to this point, I think it was his own mortality that he at least thought might be on the table here. Now it becomes explicit. No, what he's actually seeing is the death of Linda, and it's not something – he actually, has, he actually has to take Jesse aside for a minute and say, my fate is sealed. It always was. We're not here to save me. It's Linda. And reading this, uh, like as the story came, uh, came along, uh, again, it plays into this, uh, this expectation that on some level I think all of us had by this point. You know, uh, Superman had had his issues, this, uh, uh, Batman – I think by this point that story was either in – no, it was over by this point. Yeah, it was done. Um, and uh, let me think. What else? You had uh, Kyle Rayner. He was f- he was starting to get established as uh, Green Lantern right around here. And there was also goings-on with Spider-Man over in the Marvel Universe. Bottom line, this was the expectation a lot of us were going to have that something is going to happen with – with Wally here. Mm-hmm. And here Wade kind of artfully redirects us. Yeah, that's you know, no shit sure like yeah, we know he's going away. That's not on the table. Linda is who we're trying to save at this point, you know? And reading this story at the at, you know, at the time that it was coming out, that was a serious punch in the nards because I don't think it had been explicit up to that point. I mean, you can kind of read into it Based on you know comments that Wally was making and you know the choices that you know the the courses of action that he was following and everything, this is the moment where it becomes explicit now. And I don't think very very many people would have guessed that that's actually going to be exactly where the story starts going with issue number 99. And speaking of 99, we finally uh, start getting at least a little bit of a chance to move away from all the Sal Roca art but now it's being drawn at least in some places by Carlos Pacheco. Now, is that really an improvement in your opinion?
3: Not here. He's normally for example his Superman work was fine, but here it just it looks sloppy. No, it's not an improvement, it's a step down.
0: Right. And the thing it's it's kind of I was starting to wonder, you know, when I on the reread of all of this, were they finally starting to get some, you know, feedback from fans who saying, uh, who were saying, you know, bring back Ringo because it feels like, at, or looks like, at least in a few of these uh, panels, one of these artists or the other is trying to bring in, uh, you know, the occasional Ringo-ism. And I, you know, as a uh, as an example for that, I would point to page two, the first couple of panels that look like they could be drawn by Ringo's. Semi-retarded cousin.
3: <laughs> His, yeah, some of the the cleaner lines, the swoops, I guess, um, almost windswept look. They're trying to put that in there, and it's just
0: it fails. I think you nailed it with the cousin comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I aim to please. So But the this is the, as I said before, this is really the issue where You see this sometimes in in, in uh, fiction where so and so's uh, entire supporting cast gets uh, taken down, so you know, one by one. So you've got you've got uh, impulse. He's he's in he, he's he's up shit creek without a paddle. Jesse Quick gets sidelined, and I uh, Max Mercury I think is on the other side of the force field. On and on and on and on and so at least in the moment it looks there's some just some really unclear storytelling that's going on here. I would say that starting from let's see this is on starting from I would say on page 9 going right on through to page this is page 13. It's, it's it's like what the f- I mean I I understand kind of what's going on but not really like specifically on on uh, page thirteen, panel one everything's fine panel two everything's fine panel three panel four panel five everything's fine panel five shit just hit the fan
3: yes <laughs> no no pacing whatsoever and yeah. somehow Wally decides to grow a beard mid issue
0: yeah and uh, well yeah and the five o'clock shadow it had been coming and going all through this story but. Again, probably a mistake Ringo wouldn't have made. Where are you, Micro Ringo? Flash fans turn their lonely eyes towards you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, Ooh, ooh, ooh. (laughs) I couldn't resist. So, page 14. I must say, this is... It's really this close to going a little too melodramatic, but... I don't know. Considering what Wally's up against here, I'm willing to let it go. There are so many – well, not so many, but there are a couple of you know, flaws and scabs and stuff with this story, seemingly more as we go along. But starting on page 14, you get this – it's Wally between the, the ticks of a second on the clock. He's, he's at this point almost reaching light speed because if you're out running a laser – fucking that's light speed uh, speed
3: of light yeah that's literally
0: light speed yeah so um maybe i'm being a little too literal there but and so he's basically giving a sort of a his own his own uh, eulogy here because there's literally no time for anybody else to do it and he's reflecting on his life reflecting on his relationship with her the only way he can save her is to sacrifice himself, which he does by reciting the the Johnny uh, Quick speed formula, which gives him the extra burst of speed that he needs to finally, shall we say, break through to the other side. But the downside to that is the act of doing so sends him over to the speed force altogether. He's got just this one instant to say goodbye. And on page 15 – God, I'm – sorry, I'm getting a little choked up just, just looking at it. No, it, it's – it's damn.
3: Yeah, I, I know the panel you're talking about.
0: 15, uh, the very last one on page 15? Yeah. <laughs> Shit. You know, there's this moment in Superman number 75 when um, – uh, I was talking about it with uh, Sean Engel, and he and I didn't make a big a – big, Uh, thing out of it when we were going through the story, but there's this moment where, you know, Superman has this chance to say goodbye to Lois. I mean, this, I think in that moment, Superman, he knows the score. He knows what this is going to cost him. And this is the one chance he's going to have to say, to say his goodbyes to Lois before he's a dead man. So they have this really nice moment where, you know, Superman just kisses Lois full on the lips, says goodbye, and then he storms off to war to kick some ass. This is the complete opposite. This is somebody basically in the, on their deathbed in a sense telling, you know, the woman of his dreams, thank you for believing in me.
3: You were my power. Damn that kills.
0: Yeah. And so, um, and then on, uh, let's see, this is page. What fucking page? This is page 16. It's Wally screaming in, in, in pain as the, uh, as the speed force finally sucks him in or and actually this is something else i'm not sure if it's him getting sucked in by the speed force at the same time that he's absorbing the laser blast or what the fuck's going on here or for that matter what happens to the laser blast because something something shit art but nevertheless you can see just this look of pain, terror and anguish on Wally's face as he vanishes into thin air and and his memories are happening all around him And, yeah, and that's something else. I mean, you know, you could view this as, like, this is the shit that's just popping through his mind at the the moment that he dies. Or you could look at it that maybe the Speed Force is leaking and Linda can see – only Linda can see this stuff, too. That would be kind of neat, but I don't know. Of course, that doesn't really hold up when you get to the other page, but whatever. We try not to think about those things. I like to think that that Linda can see this stuff, too. On some level, they – yeah, yeah, yeah. So – anyway huge massive explosion he manages to save her but at the cost of his own life and on page 18 this is where we get yet another bait and switch where impulse basically lays claim to being the flash himself before he gets summarily dispatched by cobra agents with a flamethrower so as far as i guess longevity is concerned you could argue that Bart is the Flash for less time than anybody. It looks like maybe a minute. It's going to be a theme for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not for the last time, yes. <laughs> and this is this is a kind of... I would almost want to say this is like the Empire Strikes Back uh, uh, moment of, of this storyline. Where it looks like the bad guys truly have one and so that is that leads us to the flash issue number 100 this is the obviously the uh, final chapter of the story and this was something that uh, the cover of this thing this was sort of a uh, a gimmick that dc was running with at the time where you would have the title of the storyline or perhaps the issue at hand in big reflective hologrammy-looking uh, letters, because hey, it's the '90s, and then a silhouette of the hero on the cover. There were similar things. What were the other ones? There was Superman number 100. There was, was it Green Arrow number 100? I thought it was Green Lantern. Green Lantern? No, it was Green Lantern. The, no, it was only at like
3: somewhere. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you're right. Then I'm. I don't know what I'm picturing. In my head. It must. I'm gonna assume it's Green Arrow. Swear to Yes, f- it's the one um, with Connor. Yeah, basically when
0: Connor took over, gotcha. Right, I, at least I, or I thought it was Green Arrow, maybe not, but um, but either way, you know, this was uh, for for these stories that really didn't have much to do with each other for the for their 100th issues that came out around this time. They had a very similar sort of all black cover, but with the you know with a silhouette of the main character on the front and. Like I said, I really liked the uh, Superman number 100 cover, but this one is maybe my favorite because it's – I don't know. There's – I just dig it. I don't know. And we get – this issue is actually drawn by – looks like a couple of different artists. It's got – at least in in, in terms of the credits, uh, Salvador La Roca, Sergio Borjas – Carlos Pacheco, Oscar Jimenez, I mean, whether it's just breakdowns or whether it's actual, you know, full pencils, it looks like there were a lot of people working on this story. And damn it to fuck, what would Ringo have done? That's
3: (laughs) not turn this into kind of an artistic train wreck. Well,
0: what are your thoughts on that? Because like the way I've always looked at it, it's it really is like the rare comic that can have multiple pencilers that works well. I mean, unless there's like some sort of a artistic effect that they're going for, I forget. There was some issue of Superman. I forget which one, but the top half was drawn by Kurt Swan. And then the bottom half was drawn by someone else. And they were actually telling two separate stories. And so to me there, it works, but here I, what the fuck?
3: Well, I mean, those stories have a framework with that are telling that type of story. Plus you have something where um, we do one artist for this, another artist for flashbacks. This is not a flashback issue. This is just, it's just rolling like an egg. I mean, some
0: pages are pretty decent and then you turn the page and it's just garish. Yeah. And this actually leads into one of the, one of honestly, one of the gripes I've got with this storyline that I realized that, you know, uh, Mark Wade, He has to make this story as big as he possibly can, and he's got to do it on his own terms. But what we're supposed to infer from this storyline is that this affects literally the entire DC universe. We see goings-on in Washington, DC. We see goings-on in Gotham City. All of these people that are fighting against uh, these Cobra agents. And meanwhile, and the comics that were actually coming out this month, Those Cobra agents, as far as I know, appeared in none of those stories. Not that I remember, no. Yeah, and so it's on the one hand. Look, I get that you know Wade can't dictate other people's stories to them. You know, um, you know what? He's such a rock star that these days, you know what? Maybe today, maybe he could, but he couldn't back then. And wouldn't you know for a fact that you're not going to be able to do that? I would almost rather that the writer just not even bother. This is an issue for Keystone City and the Speedsters to deal with. And, you know, the rest of the DC universe, well, they've got their own problems or else they probably would help. But they can't because they've got their own shit going on. So it's the Speedsters and they're more or less on their own. And I don't know if you agree with that, but that's just kind of the angle that I'm coming at it with.
3: Or at least come up with a... No, I wouldn't have added the other stuff. I was gonna say come up with a gimmick of something, but then it becomes a cop out. That's it's basically it's, it creates a no win scenario. It's either not gonna affect everything, or it's gonna affect nothing, or we're gonna rev it and eh, just tell the story. I would if I were if I remark, I would just tell my story. I agree.
0: And what we see, this has got to be a first. It's a speedster using crutches to run and. She, this is actually something I never actually got like a full explanation on. I mean, it's like on the one hand she's flying, but on the other hand she's also running and she's using super speed, but she's, but her leg is jacked up. So I I don't know. I mean, it's, I just feel like in the hands of a, of just, God, just a better artist, Ringo, this wouldn't (laughs) have been a problem, but I don't know. And anyway, it takes us to page 13 where we see that uh, uh, Bart has made a miraculous recovery from being the, turned into the human torch. What yeah. the hell was that about? <laughs>
3: I'll be honest with you. I didn't check into this book till page 27. Most of it I'm reading through. It's like, okay, dire, dire consequences, dire consequences. Here's what I'm waiting for on page
0: 27. Yeah. You know what? Fuck it. We're, I'm, I'm just going to skip ahead to page 27. <laughs> I, you know, and people look—all evidence to the contrary—I really do like this story, okay? But my God, actually, no, page twenty-six. That's where. Oh yeah, twenty-six. I'm sorry. Yeah. And what we see is this blinding flash of light. <laughs> you see what I did there? <laughs> and we see a very—it's almost like a a, a a a light construct version of Wally West in full Flash gear moving literally faster than he ever has before. And some things are set... I don't want to spoil ahead because, you know what, maybe Dave can come back in the future to talk about this, but there are some things set up on page 27, different properties that maybe are going to become important and issues to come. And basically this ghost flash not only defeats Cobra, not only saves Linda... He also saves the other speedsters and, where applicable, heals their injuries. And then he single-handedly dismantles this big, giant metal fucker that um, Cobra had um, built. And again, this kind of touches upon goings-on in future issues whenever this thing goes kerblewey. There's something that's going on there that is going to bear upon future issues. But before we get too far into that, you get this sort of half-assed... Eulogy on the part of Max Mercury now that the bad guys have been put down like dogs. Mm-hmm. He speculates that this might be Wally West having earned a chance to save the day one last time. And I got to tell you, like had like, just for the sake of argument, let's say that this really was it. This was the last thing that Wally West had ever done. like where like how would that make you feel? If it's
3: him saving the day, that's sweet. I'd rather him take that moment to... I'd rather the last thing he ever did is say goodbye to Linda. Again, you can never have... I mean, that's the last thing I'd want to do is say goodbye to my wife. That's the last thing I would want to see. And yeah, this is heroic, but I I never got the feeling he's saving the world. He's just basically ending a bad day. All right.
0: And you know what? I mean, on the one hand... Yeah, this is a huge, epic, triumphant moment. But on the other hand, I agree with you. You know, if this had... Obviously, it's kind of a dead issue. But, I mean, if this had been, um, you know, really it for Wally, yeah, I would have wanted his his final moment to be his final moment with Linda. Mm-hmm. So, But obviously, that's not exactly the way that things played out. No. Linda runs off into the darkness to rant, gnash her teeth, and howl at the moon. Whereupon she's greeted by Wally West, full flesh and blood, back from the dead. And again, this relates to things that are going to become kind of a factor in issues and stories to come. But what we find out is that, yes, he really was dead, in a sense. He really did go to the afterlife in as much as he was sucked into the Speed Force. And he did what no one has ever done before in... Choosing to come back and his motive for doing this. His first, last and only concern was that he was never going to see Linda again. And that's why he came back. If
3: that's not Epic, I don't know what is dude. I have, I've got nothing for you.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I I don't either now in a weird kind of way, this fulfills the promise that had been made that yes, Wally is going to die. And the more cynical among us might say, "Well, he's probably not going to stay dead for very long." And indeed, he didn't. So, in a weird kind of way, this is Mark Wade being kind of cheeky, playing upon this trend that was going on in comics, abiding by it but doing it in his own way. Oh, when all said and done, was this a story that needed to be told, in your opinion? Uh, parts of it, yeah. Parts of it needed to be t- <laughs> take Wally to the next level. I don't know if it was
3: the way to introduce this, but what was put on the table was too important to, and too
0: altering to the character to, to omit. See, I'm of, I'm, I'm of two minds about it because yeah, there's no way you could go to flash one Oh one from flash 94. You need these, you need this storyline to fill in the gaps that much. I agree with, but the execution of this story like, the climax of it, I don't really have very very much of a problem with. But the execution of it and how we got here, you know, it's funny. This is a very highly regarded Flash story. But this is one of those – these are just kind of quibbles and I guess – I don't know if I want to say complaints and gripes. But, you know, quibbles that I've always kind of had with this uh, this story. You know, these little nitpicks that, you know, what the hell happened to the to – the, to the art and especially the pacing of the story in issue 99, you know, and I guess like the framing of all of this, I mean, look, I know it's drawing a comic book and telling a story visually is a pain in the balls. And I'm not saying I can do it better. I can promise you I can't, but at the same time, it, it what the hell happened? You know, I, I, I don't know.
3: There's no good answer. I don't think, but I was trying to figure out what, what could have, change this and i was thinking who was the editor well brian augustine and and uh, wade have a very good working relationship so that's not going to be the issue Mm-mm.
0: i look i i don't know if what i've noticed is uh, based on you know uh, his 15 minutes with mark wade podcast wade doesn't treat every single one of his pencilers I don't want to say equally, but he doesn't treat them the same. No. For some of them, he'll give them full script. You know, draw what's on this page, this and nothing else. Other, other, uh, pencilers such as Barry Kitson, he'll go almost Marvel method with them where he gives, you know, a uh, kind of an outline of what the story is and the main things that need to happen, you know, at, at, you know, at this point and this point and then the rest of it. Just do kind of this jazz thing with it. Make up whatever you want. I'll, I'll insert a story around that. But just make sure you include this and in this. Otherwise, tear it up, go to town, do it, Do whatever you want. So I don't know how he wrote this story. And that's my point in mentioning all of this. I don't know how he wrote this story. You know, was it full script or was it more Marvel uh, method or, or what? But – Something did not come together as smoothly as it might have. And I can't shake the suspicion that – I'm not trying – I'm not saying this just to be funny or, or uh, uh, a Ringo fanboy or what. I truly do believe Ringo would have smoothed over a lot of these problems.
3: Well, I don't remember the circumstances that Ringo left the book. Oh, you mean like the behind-the-scenes type stuff? Yeah, I don't rem- – I, I, he wasn't – he wasn't as – See, he was there for, what, 20 issues, 24 issues? A good number, yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly does a zero issue, and he's off, and he's doing the covers only, and I don't know where that transition occurred. Yeah, or
0: why, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't have any any special insight for you on that. I mean, you know, there was a time when I loved learning all the -the behind-the-scenes minutia of this movie or that TV show or this comic book or whatever. The older I get, though, the more I – I'm kind of content not to know. Yeah.
3: Well, on this one, the reason I ask is I wonder if this story was, and I don't know how far in advance Wade writes. Uh, I guess it varies, but I wonder if he had this story prepared with Ringo in mind. And that's why you're getting a lot of the disconnected nature is re I don't know if, if Mike left abruptly or if this was planned or what have you.
0: Yeah. And I, I certainly don't know either. And you know, this is one of those things that, well, number 1, I mean, always be careful about meeting your heroes. But number 2, if I were to ever meet Mark Wade, I don't really know how I, how I could go about having this conversation with him. Yeah, man. So this, you know, one of the this story that's, you know, widely regarded as one of the best that you've ever done. What exactly went wrong with it? I mean, why does it suck so bad? You know, I mean, I don't know how to have that conversation with a guy. So, I don't know, but it is it's something that I've always kind of wanted to know the answer to, but it what I've always sort of assumed is that maybe Ringo needed a, needed a vacation, or I, I do know that uh, he had diabetes, so maybe he was having problems with that, and so he could do a cover, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he got, maybe his contract, you know what? Maybe his contract just ended, you know? Maybe. And uh, he, 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 went, he loved the character, and so he wanted to stick around somehow, but, you know, I mean, who's to say? I mean, it's. I just wish he could have done this story. I mean, I, I, I almost don't really care, you know, what would have happened, you know, once he left. Because I really do feel like, you know, his replacements for the most part, not so much Ron Lim, but, you know, the other, you know, the other writers or sorry, the other pencilers uh, who handled, you know, the post-Terminal Velocity stories. I really do feel like they were really good for those stories. I am trying I, to remember the name of the artist, uh,
3: Michael Jane Friedman.
0: Michael Jane. Isn't he a writer? Is he... Who's he?
3: Let me double check. I'm trying to think of the name of the artist. It's a one of those three. Here we go.
0: Well, for um, issue number 101, that was drawn by uh, Oscar uh, Jimenez.
3: Yeah, Michael Jan Friedman. He kicked on right around 102, 103, had a, a, a Ringo style vibe to him.
0: Okay. Um, and I
3: thought he was actually pretty good. Not not quite as good, but.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That, that, yeah that as soon as you see like him, that. you'll know. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's the thing. I mean, this sort of more, I don't even know how to, how, what to call this art style. This It's kind of like sketchy. I don't know what the hell this is, to be honest, but I do, I do know that I've, I've always enjoyed like this type of art and I think it actually works pretty well with, with uh, the Flash, no, it's not Ringo, but then fucking what is, right? Yeah. To me, this is this is a truly this is a worthy replacement, you know. If you can't have Ringo, this this will do in a pinch, you know.
3: Yeah, and I, I, I'm more. I think about it, the more I think he he had to have left pretty abruptly, and that put this story into a, a turn a tizzy basically. And on top of it coming out after zero hour, after zero month. I think, I think everything was working against the story, and while the mechanics don't work, the character bits do, and the Wally and Linda parts are phenomenal.
0: Yes, they are. And honestly, I mean, I'm willing to overlook a lot of crap um, because of the 100th issue and their, and sort of uh, their, like their story in issue 100. To me, that cuts through a lot of bullshit. And, you know, end of the day the The nature of comics is not necessarily to perfection, especially in this in this stage of the game. I think, as much as anything, it was about hitting a deadline. and then the the idea that at least a lot of writers and artists had was, well, if I fuck something up, I'll just try to get it right next month. You know, try harder next time. Yeah. And you know that's I guess on that basis, you know, I, I don't want to make too big of a stink out of you know the stories weaknesses but i do at least want people to be aware of the fact that yes even mark wade is only human and as i say i i'm I'm truly ignorant as to you know where the where the blame for some of this stuff really you know where that actually lies you know Uh, whether it's you know wade's issue or whether it's somebody else's it's just it's tough to say but um now do you have any other thoughts about this story any any other parting shots remarks like the long-term legacy of this thing i mean How does this story rank with you as far as, you know, great Wally West stories and the rest of Wade's run?
3: It's the gateway to the rest of Wade's run. It gets better from here. This is definitely the turning point, but it gets so much better from here and just builds off of what happens here.
0: And isn't this about the time that uh, The Flash became truly a marquee title?
3: Yeah, I mean, this is when you started seeing Wizard do a lot more coverage. Uh, I guess sales never went up as much as they seemed to at the time. But yeah, Wade became a name through the through at this stage. The Flash became one of the hot books, and of course, the rest is history. Yes, it is.
0: And it's just the perception I've always had is that, you know, fans embraced Wally as the Flash, and they embraced Mark Wade as. Perhaps the definitive Mark, uh, the, the, the definitive Wally West writer after this story, this, as you say, was the game changer where that shift took place. And so on the one hand, it, I don't know. I mean, it feels weird to, to criticize it, but on the other hand, it would feel dishonest not to. So I I don't know, just between you and me, I mean, I I hope we did a balanced job of all that, but, um.
3: Well, I mean, if you compare it to what was on the stands at that time, this is still in far and a way better than probably about eighty percent of the titles that were on stands.
0: Yeah, and, and that I'll agree with. I mean, you know, even I happen to think that DC, they were actually the they they were putting out the best comics of the nineties, bar none. Oh yeah. But when you think about some of their competition, I mean, I happen to think that X Men: Age of Apocalypse that story was amazing it was tons of fun as a just a big action fest of a story and i just love it eat it up with a spoon there were goings on with uh, green lantern and all the excitement of you know kyle rayner coming on and establishing himself and goings on with the superman books they were a juggernaut by this point yeah uh same thing to some degree or another with uh, the batman titles what mark wade was it was up against just at his own at his own company you know they're just as much competition as anything else you know from his standpoint the fact that he's able to hang on a creative level with all of those other uh, all of those other titles when they were at arguably their creative zenith that to me says a lot about i guess the worthwhileness of wally west as a character and what specifically mark wade was able to do in bringing about his full potential. So it's one of those things I, I think I'm always going to cherish and be grateful for. So so that, I think, is pretty much it for uh, me and Terminal Velocity. Now, uh, before we say our goodbyes and everything, um, uh, Dave, would you mind telling everybody where it is that they can find you? Because, um, number one, you've got a new home. But, number two, you've got a show that everybody needs to be listening to. Yep, I am
3: at Dave's Daredevil Podcast. It's a weekly show about Daredevil. Um, it's exactly what the title implies. There's no real subterfuge there. I'm right down the page from His Excellency um, at twotruefreaks.com. At least I'm easy to
0: find if you know this show. So. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, episodes drop every Sunday. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you very much. It seems like you're kind of becoming my uh, Flash sidekick, and so uh, that's perfectly fine with me. I like uh, I like having you around. Like talking about the Flash with you, and I uh, also like talking about Daredevil with you too. It's something about these redheads and these and and these red bodysuits jumping around. I don't know. It's uh, brings out the best in both of us, I think. So
3: yeah, I don't know if it's a fetish, but it
0: works. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll ride with that, sure. So, <laughs> uh, but that's pretty much it for me this week. Now, as to next week, I'm going to be talking about Emerald Twilight. So be sure and tune in for that. But as I say, that's next. Uh, that's next week. So bye, everybody. I will see you then. We are out.
3: Uh, This was fun. This was a lot of fun. I I told my wife, I'll probably record for about an hour, and we got almost two hours out of it. Yeah, and... Okay, doing the new promo. Do not say take the dare. Do not say take the dare. Okay, go. Hello, darling. Nice to see ya. It's me, J. David Weeder, the Conway Twitty of podcasting. But please, call me Dave. I host a show called Dave's Daredevil Podcast, where I talk about Marvel's Man Without Fear and Netflix superstar Daredevil. But I'm here to tell you that things have changed. Don't worry, I've still got more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at and a desperado love for Daredevil. And episodes of the show still come out each and every Sunday. But now Dave's Daredevil Podcast is part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. That's right, the show can now be found at twotruefreaks.com, home of Earth's Mightiest Podcasts. And if you haven't tried the show before, I see the want to in your eyes. So take the time to check out Dave's Daredevil Podcast, because sometimes you need a podcaster with a slow hand. Dave's Daredevil Podcast, every Sunday at Two True Freaks Take the dare. I have no self-control.
1: In 1977, the world changed. The film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked. And young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived, and nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is My Star Wars Story. My Star Wars Story, monthly at mystarwarsstory.com
2: Salute. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Batgirl to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Backroll Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his backroll run, Dwayne Swurzinski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Backroll Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at batgirl to oracle Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers.
1: Hey everyone, Michael Bailey here with a trailer for an exciting series of episodes of Views from the Long Box. To help me with this trailer, I have brought along none other than Darth Vader. What is thy bidding, my master? I, uh, I had to pay extra for that one. Now, normally on Views, I talk about comics, either alone or with a friend. However, with The Force Awakens hitting theaters soon, I have been all excited for Star Wars. And with the sudden massive amount of free time I have found myself with, I decided to devote all of the December episodes of Views to Star Wars in a series I am calling... Views, Views from, a from a Galaxy Far, Far Away. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. Oh, that was, That's was kind of rude. I mean, I, I would think a Dark Lord of the Sith would be happy that I'm devoting a month of shows to Star Wars. Don't make me destroy you. Look, Vader, we had a deal. I was going to tell everybody about how I'm going to talk about my favorite Star Wars movies, my favorite characters and comics and toys, in addition to talking about The Force Awakens. You were supposed to back me up on this. I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. Well, fine then. Can I at least talk about how I'm bringing some of the best and brightest in podcasting along with me on this endeavor? And that the show is going to be weekly through the month of December? The Emperor does not share your optimistic appraisal of the situation. The Emperor will be listening? Yeah, oh. and I will have to double my efforts. Apology accepted. I did not ap- You know what? Never mind. What everybody needs to know is that Views from a Galaxy <laughs> Far, Far Away starts December 1st here at Views from the Long Box. You can find the show on iTunes or by going to www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. We would be honored if you would join us. Finally, stuck to the script. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Views from views a galaxy, from galaxy Far, Far, far away. away. Starting December 1st, only at Views from the Longstown.
0: So I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus. Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. If you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental, and void where prohibited by law some assembly required, batteries not included. Do not remove this tag under penalty of law. All models are over the age of 18. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only.